So I have a, a little, I think this is a pretty long uh, intro, so just bear with me here. Because um, you've accomplished a lot. So, but we have Dylan Gibbons here, obviously. Uh, excited to have him on today as our guest. He's a former teammate of mine, a Notre Dame man, um, and a former Irish offensive lineman. Then he went on to graduate in 2021 um, before uh, spending his last, his final two seasons in Tallahassee with the Florida State Seminoles and finding a lot of success, as he just mentioned, back home in the South Side of State. Um, in 2022, Dylan started all 13 games for the Seminoles at left guard. Um, he received first team All ACC. He was a recipient of the, and correct me if I'm wrong on this pronunciation, the Werfel Award, the Werfel yep. Trophy. Werfel. Um, and the Jim Tatum Award, which recognizes the ACC's top senior scholar athlete. Um, earned a lot of hardware before leaving Tallahassee. The Werfel Trophy is college football's premier award uh, for community service. And we'll, this is a big part of what we're going to be um, discussing today. But um, what, Dylan, or what Dylan did to earn this award is a big part of his story. Uh, he's made a, a tremendous impact, an immense impact on um, many people's lives, especially those within his locker room and other college athletes. So really grateful for that. Uh, and, and also made an uh, immense impact on, the, on a kid named uh, Timothy, and we'll chat about that. So Dylan, man, thanks so much again uh, for coming and joining for this conversation here. You were the first to use your name, image, and likeness for good, right? Getting into this conversation now. Yes, sir. And... Um, it showed the world how NIL could be used and that college athletes understood the benefits and advantages of it, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, would love for you to take us through the story quickly yeah. on uh, taking Timothy to Tally uh, and kind of how that virality moment happened for you. I got you. I probably won't be able to do it quickly, um, but yeah. I'll, I'll try my best. Actually, um, just give it give it to us as raw as you got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I was born and raised in the state of Florida, like you said. Um, grew up in St. Pete. I uh, hung out with my family. I did a lot of fishing and I played a lot of sports. Um, I was a basketball player growing up. I was actually a point guard. Uh, might not be real. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I could travel all year round. So I did AU, um, all the rec leagues, uh, church league, and then um, high school basketball and you know middle school and everything. So yeah. um, I was actually a point guard. I was pretty pretty damn athletic, um, surprisingly. Uh, that athleticism helped me out. Uh, my freshman year, I was a pudgy kid in high school, man. Um, I was like a you know developing offensive lineman. Uh, my brother yeah. kind of set the stage for me as far as recruiting went because he was one of the nation's best tight ends. Um, he Got ended it. up, you know, be, he was committed to Miami for a while, and then uh, they had some transitions in their staff back then, and ended up going to Stanford. Um, so I followed in his footsteps. Um, a bunch of schools were dumb enough to offer me my freshman year. Um, Ohio State was the first one coming off a national championship, and I didn't really know why. Uh, uh, Notre yeah. Dame was. Uh, so I had that offer in my back pocket, ended up going, you know, traveling up north, doing a whole swing through Duke, Ohio State, you know, Purdue and Notre Dame. Yeah. And uh, Brian Kelly offered me and ended up committing right away. Um, I was the youngest commit in Notre Dame history. I was uh, 15 years old. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> I started off the uh, 20, uh, what was that, the 2017 class. Um, I got to <laughs> build that class, um, you know, meeting a lot of people and having a lot of great relationships before I got to Notre Dame. Um, so I stayed, you know, thick and through with the Irish throughout my whole high school football experience. Um, they ended up honoring my scholarship and I went there and, you know, played some ball. Um, had a great time in the classroom. Um, met a lot of, uh, you know, oddly important people I never really thought I'd be able to have a conversation with. Uh, just by opening up my eyes and my ears, listening to people and, uh, you know, generally, you know, being open to uh, relationships. Um, in the classroom, you know, I had, I struggled um, as every football player does. I really had to adapt myself. I had to realize the stigma that was on student athletes. 
um, and approach every day in order to, you know, overturn that stigma. Um, so every presentation I did, I, I put, you know, 110% effort into it. Um, I was the vocal leader in those presentations um, and group discussions, and I was always sitting in the front row raising my hand and asking questions. Um, that's how I got through my education at Notre Dame, building personal relationships with professors um, to understand the material and uh, go in and attack every exam as if I was, you know, taking it for my, my best friend or my mom or my dad. Um, right. And that's how I got through on an educational um, side at Notre Dame. Um, on like a personal side, like football was great. Um, you know, I, I had my struggles. Um, I couldn't walk for a period of about two and a half years throughout my experience. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, back in 2017 is when I first got there. Um, you were our quarterback back then. And uh, you were an absolute badass, man. Um, I really couldn't have been blessed to come into a locker room with a leader like you. Um, you know, we had a great group of offensive linemen back then. On, on your offensive line, you had Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. Two yep. guys that are going to be in the league you know, for the next like 15, 20 years, hopefully. Um, yep. You can see what they've done uh, throughout their careers. And uh, you did a great job bringing that group together and you know pushing that team to the best of its ability that year. Thanks, um, brother. Our first game in that season, um, we ended up having a home game. And uh, as you know, like even, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the bullshit freshmen got to dress out for the games. Um, I was a scout team player um, and it ended up, you know, doing a good job in the scout team and everything. But um, I was just excited because, as you as you remember, like back then, camp was a little bit different. Um, right. We were at Culver, and uh, we were basically doing three days at that point. Um, right. It wasn't for the faint of heart. Um, that mile long trek from the fields back to the locker room, the Culver, man, that made that made a man out of me. And it really right. made me miss my family. Um, so at the time we got back from Culver, things moved really quickly. I wasn't able to see my family yet um, since they dropped me off earlier that summer. And uh, we got into our first game. So what I was looking forward to that whole game wasn't necessarily running out of the tunnel. Um, you know, that was a great experience and everything. But I was looking forward to seeing my family um, afterwards just because I missed them so much. And they're all the way in Florida. And, you know, it's yeah. been probably like four months at that point since I saw them. So right. I'm, 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 you know, getting my pads off as quickly as I can, um, catering to the older offensive linemen because that's a culture we had there at Notre Dame. And uh, I was trying to get out of that locker room. Well, what I didn't know, because um, that was my first game, was the amount of kids that would approach you um, directly when you got out of the locker room there at Notre Dame. There's probably like 100 kids, you know, and a bunch of old men trying to make you sign helmets for eBay. But it was mainly, mainly <laughs> the kids. Um, as I was scanning the crowd, I had my, my gloves in my hand. And uh, I, I was like, I, I might give these to my dad, I might give them to someone else. And at that moment, I decided I was going to give them to a little kid. Because um, back in the day, a, a professional NFL football player gave me his gloves, um, Brian Neese, um, back in the day for the Atlanta Falcons. So I was looking for a little kid to give my gloves to. And I had little kids, you know, ripping on my shorts, trying to take my hat off my head, like just crazy stuff. And yeah. I was standing in the crowd from left to right, and I made eye contact with Timothy Donovan. Um, and that's where our relationship started. Um, I went down next to him. Um, he's been in a wheelchair his whole life. He's uh, gone through, you know, probably 75-plus surgeries at this point. Um, he has a disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth and Vacular, which has kept him in a wheelchair his whole life. Um, it affects the nerve endings in his hands and his feet. Um, mm-hmm. His family's gone through you know, great lengths to give him the best life experiences he possibly can. Um, and I, I, at that moment, I sat down next to him and I engaged with them. Um, I became friends with him. Um, my mom became friends with his mom, uh, Paula. And that's mm-hmm. where our relationship started. Um, like I said, I went through my fair share of adversity at Notre Dame, broke a lot of bones, um, couldn't walk for a period of about two years in a row. Um, I had three reconstructive foot surgeries in my right foot. And, uh, you know, I went through some stuff, um, but Timothy was always there. Um, Timothy was always that guy. I was able to, you know, live vicariously through him and he was able to live vicariously through me. I was able to put my you know, current situation in perspective. 
Um, and that really helped me throughout my process. Um, at that time, uh, my brother also came up to Notre Dame with me. I know you probably remember Riley. Um, yeah. My brother basically dedicated his whole study um, at Notre Dame to name image likeness um, to college sports because of his experience in, in college athletics. Um, and you know, he got in the back office at Notre Dame. He was able to you know get some good momentum going um, and have a lot of ideas behind name image likeness. And we would sit up at night at our house behind uh, the linebacker and uh, you know think about sure. ideas. And one of the things I thought about was you know being able to support my friend Timothy Donovan. Um, I ended yeah. up you know putting together what would I, what would I do if I was able to use my name and likeness to support Timothy Donovan and his family and his continued care and uh, you know, increasing his quality of life. And I was probably like my sophomore, junior year at Notre Dame. Um, so I had that PowerPoint all ready to go. Um, I had that, you know, that, all my documentation ready. And all I was looking for was, you know, the ability to use my name and likeness at some point throughout my college career. Well, Notre Dame didn't end up being the place where I, I could spend a fifth and a sixth year. At that time, um, there were, you know, some athletes that we knew that were able to get MBAs at Notre Dame. Um, mm -hmm. Some people were allowed to do graduate programs, um, but I wasn't getting support from the coaching staff in order to get my MBA. Um, I ended up getting waitlisted to the MBA program, accepted the MSM and the MSF program. Um, the MSF program was gonna be in Chicago, and I was told I wasn't allowed um, to pursue that because I would have to spend a week in Chicago during our camp. If you remember, Nick Wisher did that program back in the day. Yep. So things weren't looking great. Um, additionally, Notre Dame wouldn't promise me a sixth year. Um, that was, you know, a hot topic back then because the COVID year was, you know, pretty unknown. Um, well, with all that being said, I woke up the day after spring football and was like, you know, what am I doing here in South Bend? Am I really going to put everything in this, you know, in all my eggs in the Notre Dame basket to stay for one more year? Or should I go pursue an opportunity to go to a school, um, potentially have a fifth and a sixth year? Well, I put my name in the transfer portal. Um, I did my due diligence, um, did as much research as I can. I actually leaned on probably about 10 of my Notre Dame professors um, and talked to them and you know, figured out a way to you know, compartmentalize this decision process. Um, and Florida State was the best place for me. They had a, a young offensive line, um, underdeveloped, mm -hmm. and at, at, at that time, they were one of the worst in the nation. Um, they had a bunch of young guys that were forced to play ball early. And as you know, especially with offensive linemen, it's it's a game of reps, and uh, depending yeah. on how many reps you have in your body, you know, dictates the the, the trajectory of your offensive line. Um, so right. I, I knew I could come into Florida State, make a radical impact on the field. Um, and at the same time, um, I knew with my GMAT score and everything else in hand, I could immediately get in their MBA program. Um, so I applied, and then I called the coaches. Um, I, I called Coach Atkins and Mike Norvell. And uh, they were honest people. You know, I had at that time I had every coach in, in the nation um, calling me and even calling my mom at work. Um, I, I got like 45 plus offers um, in the transfer portal. It was a wild experience. Yeah. Um, but I, I knew where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to be and I knew the opportunity at hand at Florida State. So I, I committed to them, um, ended up going there that summer. Um, and as it turned out, like it, it was a little bit odd because the name was like this thing for me was on the back burner, right? Right. And as soon as I got there, they started pitching me. What um, year? What summer was this? This is, this is 2020. This is going to 2021 season. Um, yeah. so this is 2021. And uh, as soon as I got there, they started pitching me on name. It was like this. I was like, no way. Like, how, how did I miss this news? And uh, at the time, Florida was trying to be a first mover in the name. It was like the space, uh, allowing their student athletes. I believe it was on in July, in the mid mid July, July 15th yep. or something like that. Um, allowing them to use their name image likeness um, to profit, uh, to be able to, you know, whatever whatever way they could possibly think of. Uh, Representative Chip Lamarca uh, from the Broward County 
um, district was one of the uh, guys that headed it up. And uh, I figured that out through the recruiting process. I put my pitch into action, um, ended up, you know, reaching out to every, every possible company I could think of um, in order to get some type of promised fundraising money. Um, and uh, that's when I put out my first GoFundMe um, to take Timothy to Tallahassee. So to bring my, Tim my friend Timothy Donovan, a diehard Notre Dame fan, to my first game, um, Notre Dame versus Florida State. Um, you know, it, it was it was kind of a crazy experience, right? Um, you know, transferring from one school, then the first game you're going to play is against that school. Um, yeah. Those guys on defense, I played thousands of reps against. You know, some of my best friends, right. Kurt Heinisch, like lived with me for like three, three to four years. Right. Um, it was just, uh, you know, a lot of emotions. Um, but at the same time, um, the GoFundMe, I, I put it up, um, right? I put it up on like a Friday night. And within 24 hours, it raised over $30,000. Um, and to date, it's raised over $100,000. Um, wow. that, that spark within those 24 hours um, changed my mindset, uh, right? Um, yep. Our education in Notre Dame allows us to see opportunities, not only in the business world, not only in life, um, but in, in these, these odd you know, philanthropic ways. Um, yeah. And for me, that, that was a spark. If some you know, offensive lineman that no one cares about can raise $30,000 in 24 hours, Imagine what I could do if I assembled a team of like-minded individuals that want to help people throughout college football that might have more following than me. Might be a quarterback, might be a linebacker, might be people you know that that had been you know tenured in a university. Imagine yeah. what they could do. Um, so I went ahead, put my paperwork in, um, started a, a legitimate nonprofit, Big Man Big Heart. Um, it's it's recognized by, IRS, by the IRS, and um, put together a game plan. Um, I was, I was then, you know, trying to put together a group of five interns in Tallahassee. Um, so I ended up having five interns over two years, um, and cycles throughout the semesters. Um, so at any given time we had five and then I had a, you know, a really nice, uh, you know, board of directors group that I met throughout my experience at Notre Dame and then new individuals I was meeting at Florida state, um, including a lot of my family members. Um, everybody in my family is an attorney. So that really helped me uh, get some traction early on, especially when I'm filling out all the paperwork to secret nonprofit. Um, I'm sure. But, I uh, ended up, you know, using them and, and, and using and imploring as many people as I possibly could, getting feelers out in the college football community to find more stories like me and my friend Timothy Donovan, um, to yep. find people throughout different universities in the state of Florida originally. Um, then we branched out to a whole bunch of different sectors in college football. Um, and we brought those people on as big men, big heart and bastards. Um, and we helped them basically by assembling a charitable tool belt by assembling you know, relationships with companies like GoFundMe. Um, GoFundMe now has a group of five individuals that help me out on a daily basis that you know, just, just are out there searching for, for stories throughout college football um, and NFL football too. But groups like uh, Good Sam, Camping World, Marcus Lamonis, um, they, they reached out to me. Um, they, they wanted to, to start a relationship with me as a football player because I had this great following now. Um, and I would turn around and, and ask them to double it and give it to my nonprofit or double it mm -hmm. and give it to us for every GoFundMe we put out. Um, so every deal I worked throughout Name Image Likeness, I probably had you know 30 or 40 deals throughout my, my two years at Florida State when we were really able to use it. Right. I looked them in the eye and asked them to double it um, and either give it to directly to the GoFundMes um, or double it and disperse it throughout the GoFundMes we already had. Um, so that that's how we were able to get traction. Um, you know, the, the fan base at, at Florida State I, I would say if, if I started another university, it probably wouldn't have had as much success. Um, you know, Florida State, really? they're Florida people. They, they, they care about stories like this. They care about their athletes. Um, and I was able to, you know, do a bunch of different forms of marketing in order to reach as many, many Florida State fans as I possibly could. Um, and organically, it just grew. So every yeah. time I put out a GoFundMe, it would have, you know, 
a couple thousand clicks. Every time I put out a tweet on on Twitter, it, it would end up having you know two or two point five million views. Um, yeah, it was just absolutely wild. Um, and you know, all the wonderful people in the media um, that allowed me to do interviews only grew it. Um, and then a lot of other op- awesome opportunities I've had um, to win awards have you know further you know gained me traction um, with who yeah. I am, what I'm trying to do. That's awesome, man. Thank cool. you so much for that rundown. I think we could even end the conversation there because it gives a great insight and, yeah. and clip into uh, everything that you've really accomplished and kind of the, the genesis of all that you've done. So I appreciate that. Well, quick question and, and kind of um, funny question. What what do you think the breakdown of Notre Dame fans versus Florida State was to commit or, or donate to the uh, to the initial launch of the uh, – Yeah. Yeah, so I met any some- – I met some cool people at Notre Dame, um, and they've donated a lot of money. Um, but I, I think that the split would more more or less be like the amount, right? And I think right. the amount would probably be around you know twenty to twenty five percent in total. But I, I I did I don't know if you remember when I put out a GoFundMe for Greer Martini um, and his yeah. uh, his now now wife, um, wife but yeah. that that by itself was you know basically a hundred percent or eighty percent Notre Dame uh, people. Notre Dame. Now, a lot of my former teammates like Quinn Nelson, Mike Glinchy, people like that helped me pump that out. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so year to day we've raised, um, or since, since inception of Big Man Big Heart, we've raised over $750,000 of people in need throughout college That's football. So um, but yeah, it's been based off these other fan bases. I really don't think I'd be able to do as well as I did if I didn't have both experiences in Notre Dame and Florida State. Yep. That's awesome, DG. What did that teach you, man? What did this moment teach you? Um, not just with Timothy, but, um, I feel like it happened so fast, right? It happened so quick. You know, you go raise a hundred thousand dollars within. It takes a lot of time for people to do that, right? But I think yeah. the philanthropic, you know, the philanthropic mission behind it obviously yeah. get some fuel. But um, what did that teach you? And and, uh, and I guess yeah, if you can elaborate on kind of the experience there. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember this, but we talked like when I first started having these ideas. Um, yeah, I was actually I was on my way home from Florida State for the first time, back down to St. Pete. Um, and we yep. talked on a car ride, yep. and that's actually when I started my first podcast. It's when I started Big Man Big Heart podcast, and that's another yeah. vessel that really helped us out in raising money and you know allowing companies to you know build a relationship with us and you know have a, a product that we're offering them. Um, but what what I'll say is you know I was able to compartmentalize my life um, at that time. I was you know starting a division one level, um, bringing together an offensive line that was one of the worst in the nations and turning them into one of the best in the nations in the top 10, um, bringing along a developing team, um, building a culture of accountability within the offensive line group. At the same time, I was getting my MBA. Um, you know, I had right. a lot of hard classes. I had a hard, a lot of hard work and, you know, I was adapting to a new university. Um, and then I had a nonprofit. I was trying to start a nonprofit at the same time. So for me on, on a very simplistic level, it allowed me to compartmentalize my life. Um, a system that I use, 90-day goal-setting strategy by Tom Mendoza, um, three personal and three professional goals. Um, it's something that I've you know had in my life since my sophomore year at Notre Dame. And then on a day-to-day basis, I use like a 15-minute increment um, type system where I have every single hour of my day broken down into 15-minute increments, um, basically just through Google Calendar. Um, and that allowed me to get you know the most I possibly could out of the day. Um, you know, helping other people at a young age, it, it's 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 changed me as a person, um, changed me in my my perspective on life and you know, what I want to do in the future. But waking up in the morning with a, a greater sense of, of what you're doing is going to, you know, directly impact people um, and, you know, having a purpose when you wake up um, has helped me out. You know, thinking about the people we've helped out, you know, Timothy Donovan, 
uh, Laura Fisher. I mean, uh, we've had, had two different kids that have had childhood leukemia. Um, a bunch of people have been through nat natural disasters. I could pull inspiration off any one of those individuals, just helping them out once, just you know, just just through the starting a GoFundMe, not necessarily even raising money for them, just telling their yeah. stories. Um, you know, um, all, all it took was one spark, and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of time they have in their lives. A lot of people don't realize, you know, even as a college football player, like I, I've seen it firsthand at Notre Dame and, and more prominently at Florida State. People get, you know, kind of, you know, churned up by the system, you know, well, it, people feel bad for themselves. They go home, they indulge in video right. games, they, they indulge in, you know, whatever else it might be that's negative in their life. And um, they don't spend time thinking about other people. And I think at a young age, it's really important to get into that. And, uh, think a lot of people need to realize how much time they have and the impact that they can make no matter who they are, um, no matter how much time they have to give it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I was going to kind of, I want to ask this question and, and continue this conversation before we get into kind of more the football side and I mm -hmm. uh, don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I guess being that we're talking about NIL and obviously the positive things that you've done with, with this new legislative amendment, I guess, where do you envision NIL going, right? In the next three to five years, what do you hope for the space? And then how do you hope athletes are uh, maximizing their windows? Well, it, it's a scary space. You know, we, we talked about names like when it was first coming out, it's a wild west. It's still a wild west. You know, you never really know what universities are doing. You never know what collectives are doing. Um, I've seen some very unethical practices, even around the concept of giving back, right? Um, I mean, I, I've heard stories of, of athletes, you know, getting paid by collectives that are quote unquote nonprofits. Um, and they go and hang out with kids for an hour and they receive $500 in return. Um, I think that's incredibly negative. Um, I, I don't feel like I, I deserve anything for doing community service or hanging out with the kids or, you know, taking the, the, you know, the shop of the player type event I've run for the past two years in Tallahassee. Um, I don't feel entitled to, to money for helping out kids. And I think that's a negative way that it could be going. I think it's interesting when you talk about all the all the talk about conference realignment, um, and especially at Florida State, they're one of the you know the biggest you know people stepping forward right now and trying to figure out what the space looks like um, because of how competitive it is. Like this is public. Uh, I mean, it, at this point, it's kind of public. Like my quarterback at Florida State, he's going to be making close to one point seven million dollars this year, uh, and that that is that's wild. But that that is a a practice that's happening everywhere right now. Maybe right. not to that exact ex extent, but every single Division One quarterback nowadays is going to walk away with at least a million dollars. And yeah. if they're at a reputable school and if they're competing for a national championship. Every other player on my team and every other player of teams that I know right now is walking away with at least $50,000, um, just just in general. Like, even if they don't play football for that year, they're, they're walking right. away with $50,000 in their pocket, which is great. Um, I believe college football players should be paid for a name of like this. I do think there should be a standardization of the process, not necessarily on a national level, but school by school. Um, it will be interesting to see where it goes, though, in the next couple of years, um, especially when you're talking about conference realignment and, uh, you know, the two major conferences coming up with um, either the SEC, the Big Ten, or whatever it's going to look like. Um, I think it'll be interesting, too, especially with Notre Dame being independent, um, the new college football yeah. you know, playoff coming up here in the next couple of years. Well, they won't necessarily be able to have that at first round by um, because they're not in a conference and they won't be able to, you know, sit out like the other other people, other, other groups will be able to. Um, right. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, man. You mentioned Jordan Travis, who I've known actually for a little bit of time. 
Um, and you got to play for some awesome, you know, quarterbacks. Uh, but you guys last year were like the big explosive play offense in the country, right? Yeah. I think you guys were ranked second nationally uh, in explosive plays. I think you guys were first in total offensive yards or total offense per game and then um, or, and then also scoring per game, right? And then Jordan Travis had all of the media recognition, rightfully so, and obviously coming back this year, he's on a lot of people's Heisman watch, Heisman watch list, right? Yeah. What's the locker room like down in Florida State? You know, transitioning in this conversation into more ball, and what can people expect from the Florida State offense? Um, yeah, so I'll back up for a second. I was actually at the Heisman event this year um, here in New York. Um, I, Danny Warfel brought me there after I won the Warfel Trophy. I was his guest. Awesome. A really cool experience, and I could uh, honestly see Jordan Travis being there next year, if not winning yeah. the whole damn thing. Um, wow. It was, uh, it was incredible, but I don't see him not being part of that conversation. Just being around Jordan Travis for two years has been absolutely electric. Um, he's unlike any other quarterback I've been around. Like, unlike you, unlike Book, like yep. unlike McKenzie, he's a he's a, a quiet guy, but he wins football games. Like yeah, like there there hasn't been like I remember watching Florida State tape while I was at Notre Dame. Um, my last two seasons at least while Jordan was there, and uh, Jordan was having to win all his football games. You know, like yeah. back like three years ago. Last year, Jordan, it was probably one of the first years where he didn't have to go win every football game. You know, he, he had to play quarterback and he had to be elusive on his feet, but he wasn't put in those situations where everything was failing. You know, like, you know, the route right. ran wrong, the offensive lines disintegrating. Um, like Jordan, right for his life. He had to yeah. use his feet to go win the football game. There was only one game this year, if you watch it, the Florida game, um, where okay. our offensive line was, you know, struggling at times. And in those moments, Jordan Travis, you know, he said, you know, it's on me. Like I'm gonna go win this 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 damn game, and uh, yep. he went and won the football game for us. There's a couple of sliding touchdowns. They're like it was a big deal that game where Jordan was you know getting to the end zone and people were saying his knee was down. And but you know there aren't many people I've been around that have been able to just go win football games, and Jordan Travis is one of those guys. And I know that at any level, and you know in in season or in the ACC or whatever's gonna happen this year in the championships. Jordan Travis will be able to go and, and put the team on his back and win football games when he needs to, uh, which yeah. is an exciting thing and a really electric player to be around just by his athleticism and his hard-headedness and how hard he works every day and how much he pushes himself in the weight room, um, in the community, and on the football field. Uh, yeah. The Florida State as a whole, though, it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, when you think about some of the pieces they have, like Johnny Wilson, John, Johnny's, Johnny's crazy. He's a madman. Six seven, you know, he's probably probably two two sixty right now. He's a big old big old dude. Um, he can win football games as well. And uh, when you look at the like the actual position groups at Florida State, I mean, we're not really missing many people off our defense. Um, our, our defensive line basically came back. Um, our secondary only improved through the transfer portal. On the offensive side of the ball, I'm the only piece missing from the offensive line, and they brought in three three dudes that have been starting for a number of years throughout college football to come in and, and replace me and add some depth. Um, Florida State's offensive line probably has a legitimate two and a half groups of starting experience, which is yeah. unlike anything I've ever been a part of. Yeah, you do. Um, That's rare. Yeah. They, yeah. So they, they have, they have more depth than they've had since their last national championship. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I mean, when you, when you talk about the guys in the trenches there, I mean, Robert Scott's going to go in the first round. He's going to be playing left tackle this year. I'm not sure who's going to be playing left guard to replace me, but I know there's a fight going on in camp. Uh, Maurice yeah. Smith is our center, and he has 
everything you could possibly imagine for NFL talent, athletic, athleticism wise. And um, he's probably put, played almost probably the most snaps in college football for, for a center. Um, he's been playing yeah. there now for, I think this probably is fourth year, but he's played every year. Um, yeah. Darius Washington. Um, and there's going to be you know, three or four other guys throughout the transfer portal that are really going to make an impact as soon as they get there on that offensive line. Um, Dimitri Emmanuel, odd enough. Um, he can't, he, so he played last year. He was a, a fifth year or he was a sixth year at the time, technically, I think. And the NCAA granted him an additional year. So Get they're going to have more depth yeah. and more playing experience than any other group they're going to go against this year um, on the offensive line. And, you know, Coach Atkins, our offensive coordinator. Um, so when I first got to Florida State, he was just my O line coach. And then he became the offensive coordinator in my, my second season. So last year. And you got to see a little glimpse of it when we played, you know, some of, the, some of those teams last year. But, his hard-nosed approach to football is amazing, um, especially having the tools that we have, like Trey Benson and some of our other running backs. You can really shove the ball down some people's throats. Um, I mean, yeah. if you watch the Miami game, we ran counter like 32 times. Um, Sheesh. We ran it so much. It was to the point I was wearing one of those Axiom helmets, um, which yeah. off the line, if you're listening, don't wear an Axiom. I didn't have any you know, eye guards, and it's a huge open face mask. Um, I yeah. bent it in. And I, you know, clipped my nose. I was bleeding everything, but I bent it completely into my face because I pulled so many times and was hitting people with the right side of my cheek. Golly. Um, but uh, it'll it'll be it'll be electric though. I mean, you have a lot of playmakers, um, and you have a, a strong fundamental and being able to run the ball inside outside zone, gap scheme counter, um, and yeah. a lot of screen game. Uh, it's a very similar offense to, to to what we ran at Notre Dame. Um, you know, Mike Norvell has very similar thoughts to uh, the chip. The did chip. I think we they were. Yeah, they were together actually. Yeah, yeah Memphis. I think either Memphis or uh, I think in Memphis. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Jordan kind of get through his last year. And then well, the last two questions here, right? You guys finished last season two ten and three, but there yep. was a little bit of a low in between, right? In the middle of the season, you guys lost three straight, but then went on to finish the season ten and three and winning out your last six, right? What was the driving force behind that? And then obviously winning, um, winning the the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, yeah. Last game, yeah. So thinking back, I mean, and it didn't really feel like we lost any games last season. If that makes any sense, I know you probably look back right. at some of your seasons and you can't really remember who you lost to because they were like that that close of games where the momentum swung so much left and right, and there really wasn't much more we could do on offense or defense. We were just trying to play football the best of our abilities, but you know the little things caught up to us. Um, as we got closer to the end of the season, you know, uh, a 10-win ten, a ten season is a big deal at Florida State. Um, our locker room just got redone, and one of the big boards on there is every team that's ever had a 10-win season um, in the history of Florida State, and we all have to pass by it every day. Like, literally, it's right next to the keypad where we get in the locker room. Um, and that was something that we all hold ourse- held ourselves accountable to, especially when we had the, you know, option to go to the Cheez-It Bowl and, you know, have one more game. Um, that was something that we all wanted to do, um, especially when we had some, you know, some older guys like me and, a few other the, the, the larger vocal leaders going to be leaving the team. Um, it, it was something we pushed each other every day um, as we went through the Cheez-It Bowl and something that we wanted to put a lot of good film on tape, especially playing another good team, another great opportunity, um, you know, putting the team in the, in the trajectory it needs to be in um, to have the kind of success that we, we believe we're going to have this season. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate that, Dylan. You guys, you give a great overview of of everything and, and answers are so uh, thorough. So thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, you covered a lot of my questions actually within your answers. Um, so I appreciate it, man. If you don't mind, before we head out of here, just letting people know where they can keep up with everything that you're doing, whether it's Big Man, Big Heart, um, your private equity opportunity that you got down back in Tampa. Yep. Uh, 
or your ma- or your wedding, right? What, whatever it is, where can people find you to keep up with you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, or uh, TikTok, um, all those wonderful things. I also have a YouTube channel. Um, I do podcasts, the Big Man Big Heart podcast with Josh Newberg. Um, additionally, with BigManBigHeart.com. Um, if you want to check out some of our GoFundMes or some of the stories, um, it really does give some insights on some individuals and you know tells the stories of you know people in the darkest corners of the earth. Um, so if you would check that out, I'd really appreciate it. Again, BigManBigHeart.com, and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, everywhere, Snapchat, TikTok. Uh, but the last thing I'll say is about Mike Norvell. Um, and, you know, I, I, had, I had Brian Kelly for four years, and there's nothing bad to talk about Brian Kelly. He's a businessman. Everybody knows that. But Mike Norvell had a different approach um, to coaching. Um, and it, it was all focused around a client. You know, he, he realized that at a young age in his coaching career, he wasn't perfect, and he wasn't necessarily the leader he wanted to be yet. Um, so every day he focused on a 1%, you know, incremental getting better. Um, he's the kind of guy where, you know, I'd get to the facility, you know, pretty, pretty early. That was instilled in me in Notre Dame. I'd get there at four o'clock in the morning, you know, three 30, yeah. waiting for the training room to get open. Um, and Mike Norvell would come in and he would, he would yell good morning right in my face. Right. And then at the same time, you know, in camp nine o'clock at night, I'm about to go home and go to sleep. I'm tired. He's yelling good morning in my face. He's just that kind of guy. It's, it, it's hard to yeah. be around him and not be inspired to not want to push a little bit further to not want to sacrifice for him. And uh, I yep. would say that he's one of the biggest driving forces there at Florida State. Um, and all of his coaches do a great job. And, and Coach Atkins is one of the guys that, that really allowed me to play football um, there and yeah. allowed me to do the best I possibly could and bring that off-the-line group together. So I can't thank them enough. And um, you guys should really you know, be paying attention to Florida State this year, not only because of the, the athletes on that field, but because of the culture they're, they're providing for the athletes, um, the people around them and the coaching staff that has really taken Florida State um, – by grasp and, and turn into something they're out their own awesome man awesome Dylan. yeah we, we'll be watching hopefully the audience is tuned in as well to florida state think some special things can happen down in tallahassee mm-hmm. florida football is always one of the best to watch so oh, yeah um thanks so much man for joining look forward to getting together here in the city and mm-hmm. then finding you back in sunshine state uh here shortly thanks i, Dylan. Pre- I appreciate you brother thanks for having me on always